Hello, and welcome to Curtains Unfurled, the show that gives creative people an outlet to talk in detail about the tricks, trivia, and philosophies that go into their art. In this episode, strap yourselves in, because we are going to tackle a topic that can be a bit daunting due to its perceived highbrow gravitas and sheer volume, not to mention historical controversy. And that topic is Shakespeare. So, how do we tackle this topic? How does an actor approach Shakespeare? How does one suffer the slings and arrows brought about by 400 years of history playing a part that has been done hundreds of times by hundreds of actors? Well, first we need an actor. Hi, I'm Miranda Zillick. I am a local Twin Cities actor. I have an MFA in Performing Arts from the Savannah College of Art and Design. I've spent my life working on classical theater. I was part of the first several seasons of the Richmond Shakespeare Festival in Richmond, Indiana, where I was a performer and I was also on the board for a while. And I got to spend a summer in Prague studying Shakespeare and learning original pronunciation Shakespeare with the Prague Shakespeare Company. Okay, knowledgeable actor, check. Now, as you may have guessed, based on that introduction, Moretta knows quite a bit about what it takes to perform Shakespeare. And it seems, to be or not to be, is not the only question. Moretta was kind enough to sit down with me, and we make much ado about the Bard. There are so many people who, like, they have the play that they saw like you ask an actor like what got you into Shakespeare and they can usually name a play or a performance right that they saw and they were like this it didn't make sense when I was being forced to read it in high school but this I saw this performance and I fell in love or I was the outcast kid and I read this thing and I fell in love Mm -hmm. and it's a little different for me because I grew up with it right I don't remember life without Shakespeare. I saw my first play when I was two years old, and it was Midsummer. So it's always been part of my life. So that's why I think it's particularly special. The language is magic. It's so neat because it's so old that we look at things and and the language is really interesting and concrete but yet because it's so old it's really pliable and we have the ability to really take it and find new places and mold it in ways that are more relevant for where we are now and all sorts of things so i kind of love that that sense of like the old and yet being able to make it modern or being to make it whatever we want There's so much of Shakespeare because Shakespeare nerds are incredibly nerdy to the point where Shakespeare and the study of Shakespeare is a secular religion and the folio is generally considered the Bible. But even within that, there's like a huge range of people who look at the folio and they're like, yes, this is the Bible and the sacred text and we follow what's in the folio. And then there are lots of people who are like, the folio was printed seven years after the man died. So like, no, it's not sacred text because there were lots of hands in it and none of, you know, only a couple times was it Shakespeare's. And then there are the people who argue that 
Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare, which he's like the only author from that time period that there's a controversy about whether or not he wrote his own work or not, which is kind of telling, right? And um, the other part is that we know so little about him and his life. All we know about him is from court records because we don't actually have his own writings in his hand. We don't have journals or stuff. Hmm. And so what we know are from court records, his plays, what we can like decide about what he was like from his playwriting. But um, other than that, there's a lot of holes that can be filled in. And so people do. <laughs> That's why there are thousands and thousands of books um, written on Shakespeare, the person, and then on his plays. So you kind of come down in the in the second category of it's not sacred. It was made seven years after he died, and therefore there's some wiggle room. I absolutely do, because of things like that. I remember one of the fun factoids that I learned while I was in Prague, working with some amazing artists, but also um, getting lectures from these amazing Shakespeare scholars who work on editing the Arden Shakespeare verses and one of the guys who did the RSC complete works. But one of my favorite factoids was they had like a picture that was like a tin print from the time period and it looked like the printing process, right? And so they have kind of the setup and you see, you know, okay, they've got different people working on different pages, right? And when you look at the folio, we can tell that different people worked on different parts. And we even have like editor A worked on pages one, seven, and nine because of the way they used punctuation. Like we can tell that this person did it this way uh. and all sorts of fun things like that. And so like, so their personal stuff like came into it, right? These individuals, but they also, in the printing process, they would set the the type, right? They would print the page, and then they thought in order to set the type that you needed to soak it, and you needed to soak it in urine. So they had big vats of urine, and one of the ways they got all that urine, well, they were drinking beer all day. So there's also, like, this element of, like, they might have been buzzed while working on this, and, like... There are possible mistakes and different interpretations. And also, you know, it's 400 years old, so of course we can play with it and try different things. Uh, yes, I am not in the group where I'm like, but you have to follow to the letter. Because there's also so much of what Shakespeare wrote was contemporary to that time period, right? And there are jokes that don't make sense anymore because it was like making a you know, a Dukakis joke or something like that, where it's like, <laughs> people aren't going to get that now, mm -hmm. 400 years later. It's not going to have the same impact. Go ahead and cut that. And for me as a performer, it's what's most useful and makes it most clear to your audience. So I'm a big one for like, I love doing all the um, scansion, dissecting all the poetry and, and ripping it apart and finding all these different things. But if that's not helping further your performance, which is helping you clearly communicate to your audience something, then, you know, it's an intellectual exercise, which are great, but you need it to concretely help you in your performance. Mm -hmm. 
So you, you said that you start picking through and finding out what's the most useful. I mean, clearly some of the jokes that don't make sense don't make sense anymore, but in some of the other contexts that it is a period piece, so you need period information in there, so you can't mm-hmm. cut everything that's dated. How do you start to hone in on what pieces of information are important for you because everybody's going to have a slightly different interpretation about what is important for them. First, you want to dig into the poetry and the language because at that point in history, you didn't have directors, right? Like we have now, we have the cast and we have a director who has a vision for the show and they're going to help guide Well, a good director is going to help guide (laughs) to create this thing. A bad director is going to just tell everybody what to do. At that point in time, you didn't have a director, right? You had a group of people who would come together and they'd make a show happen. There were stage managers, but they're not directing people uh, specifically. So a lot of the acting direction you can find in that poetry when you work through it again it's called scansion Mm -hmm. when you're breaking it apart you can find clues from how the poetry is used when you have a regular de-dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum and then suddenly you have an irregular de-dum-de-dum you know Mm -hmm. something else you know oh there's a shift there or this line's short, it's missing half of the rhythm. And so I can take a pause there. And that was kind of how Shakespeare as an author was able to direct actors, Mm, right, is with the language. And that's a lot of how more traditional actors are taught, right, to do that. And how we approach Shakespeare is always evolving and changing. Mm some of the really fun things that I got to do with the original pronunciation Shakespeare, which is how we think the English accent sounded at the time when Shakespeare was writing makes a difference. You know, there are lines that are fine in modern British or my modern American accent, but they don't quite sound the same or they don't quite seem to work because the rhyme is gone because we don't say those words the same anymore. Mm. So going back through and finding out like, well, how did this sound originally? Oh, (laughs) this rhymes in this when we say it with a different accent that changes the whole rhythm. They found that plays went faster in the original pronunciation accent when they were able to actually perform them. So again, you find different things, but there are some rules where it's, oh, what was one? It was like you pronounce, oh, some letter, you know, that's usually silent at the beginning of the word. In the accent, you would pronounce it, but it just made it harder to understand if you did and it didn't really help the rhyme scheme. So like sometimes it's like, okay, well, this would be true to what we think it sounded like. And we don't know because it's 400 years old right. and nobody speaks it anymore. We have no but recordings. We have no recordings. Nobody talks that way anymore. We have bits from all the different accents, but because it's like an amalgam of all the accents that we now know, you'll hear Irish and mm-hmm. Welsh and Canadian and American and Australian, you'll hear all these things in that original pronunciation accent. And again, the most important thing is because I did a performance in that and it was so cool and it was so fun, but it was still really important to make sure that we were clear 
on what we were saying and that it was clear to our audience because if we blocked that then it's not going to be a good performance Mm -hmm. Shakespeare is one of those really interesting an interesting challenge because it's classical and everybody knows it and so when you get a part you're I hate to say burdened but you can be like burdened with everything that you've seen When you play Hamlet, you're burdened with all the expectations of what you know people are expecting to see in Hamlet and what people think of Hamlet as. And I know myself as an audience member, I've had to really work on sitting back and saying, there's no definitive version of anything, you know. If you want to rewatch the same thing over and over again, go watch a movie, right? Mm -hmm. Pick your favorite movie and just rewatch it. It will be the same every time. But if you're going to live theater, it's never going to be the same every time. And if you're going to see different people produce different Shakespeare or even the same company produce different Shakespeare over the course of years, each production is going to be, should be different and unique and utilizing what that particular cast brings to those roles and whatever message they're working with and that's fine (laughs) right there's nothing wrong with that and there is nothing that any particular character should or has to be and I think that's hard for some people to and I've caught myself doing it too as a as an audience member as an actor I'm like okay well you know I'm not digging this this Hamlet because you know Hamlet's got to have a deeper voice and more gravitas and Mm. it's like no actually this guy's Hamlet is his version of Hamlet and you can not like something subconsciously comparing it to Kenneth Branagh or (laughs) right or or whatever whatever version you Mm -hmm. maybe saw first and fell in love with right it's always a fine thing of how do you enjoy and how do you cherish those wonderful performances that you've seen or that you've done where it all just clicked and there was magic and it's really been amazing for you, but still be able to go back and see another production and still enjoy that and allow somebody else to inhabit that role in their own way to surprise you with different things and to really allow for for joy in that without stopping yourself from experiencing the thing because you're like no it needs to be done this way it's a really hard thing because we're we're very we fall in love with something we're like but i want it to be that way every time (laughs) it was so good i just want to eat another of that cookie (laughs) and it needs to taste the same okay so as an actor you're preparing for a role Mm -hmm. you're cast as Ophelia. Where do you start? Do you start with the lines? Do you start with trying to get into the character's head? Do you start with, like you were saying, the words that Shakespeare said with the clues in it? Yeah, I always start with the text. And this can actually vary depending on the production, right? Who have you been hired by? What's the theater's philosophy of this? Are we starting where 
your cast, but we're not going to tell you your role. And we're all going to do some movement stuff together first. And then we're going to get into the text. Like there can be all sorts of different things that are dependent on who you're working with. And you want to honor whatever kind of process we're engaged in together because you know, in your last episode, he was talking a lot about kind of stuff you do at the Renaissance Festival and things that you work out, but it's a lot of improv that's kind of guided by the experiences you have and you're listening and connecting with your fellow performer or your audience. And that's true of Shakespeare too, right? As much as I have pages and pages of dialogue that I have to say, I still have to be connecting with the other people on stage or with the audience, because sometimes they're my acting partner, right? You get a big, long soliloquy, you're talking to your friends who are sitting in the audience, and you have to be present and open with them as well. So making sure that you're honoring the fellow people that you're with is really important. But for the most part, I do. I start with the text. I start with pulling apart that scansion, if there is. Sometimes it's prose. And... I get so nitpicky into the punctuation because the punctuation can affect the meaning of the sentence. So examples, there's the, what a piece of work is man speech, right? In Hamlet, what a piece of work of man, how noble in reason. And I became obsessed with this speech because I realized the punctuation is wildly different in the various editions of the play um it's one of so we have hamlet from the folio is different from i think there are four quartos of hamlet so there's the folio which was the big book and it was the collection of things and quartos were smaller books and they were single plays and a lot of them were like ripped off versions of the plays. so it was like a rival company (laughs) would send a kid to the theater like every night and he would like be writing furiously and trying to get down everything and then bootlegs and then they'd print it yeah well there was also like a thing i think at the time where like the first one to print had copyright so printing it was a big deal because it was really expensive so a lot of people didn't do it so we have these like four quarto versions of hamlet And like the to be or not to be speech is wildly different in those. It's not included in one and it's really weird in another one. We've got the two good quartos and the two bad quartos. And I became obsessed with the what a piece of work is man speech and like going through the Arden and the Folger and the Folio and all these different modern versions of that speech and seeing how they used semicolons and this one in originally it used question marks or exclamation points and then it got changed and then it's commas and it's semicolons and then somebody used periods and it changes what certain things are like qualifying and all sorts of things and so I became personally obsessed with that one I'm sure I'm not the only one and I bought a copy of Hamlet specifically because I liked how the punctuation was in the what a piece of work (laughs) is man speech because it made the most sense to me as an actor right like that one to me the way the punctuation was the way the sentence was structured was much more playable and made more sense in my brain than a lot of the others. A lot of the others, I was like, 
but that this feels like that should be talking about that, but the way the sentence is structured, this part is all together. Doesn't quite fit the inner monologue. No, that doesn't fit what works in my brain. Mm -hmm. And again, like that's my brain. And if another actor likes a different version, clearly the people who were doing the editing loved these other versions or, or thought that they were right. That's great. And they're certainly interesting. But I found the one that I really liked for me as a performer. So, yes, I go to the text. Specifically <laughs> the punctuation, that. apparently. that's I go, yeah, oh, the punctuation is big. Yeah, you go, I go from whatever script I'm given because they'll cut it however they want to for that mm-hmm. specific thing. And then I'll go and I'll look at the punctuation in the script I've been given versus what was in the first folio versus what maybe they did in the Arden Shakespeare, because that's one of my personal favorite edited versions. Mm -hmm. And then I look up all the words, (laughs) like all the words, not just the ones I don't understand, but any that I'm like, okay, double checking to make sure I know what this word means. Right. To make sure it means what I think it means, because it might not mean what I think it means mm-hmm. at that point in time, because that does happen. There's a double meaning in that. There's a double meaning in that. <laughs> okay, so you have been given a script, and it has punctuation in it. Do you try to go with what's in the script, or do you kind of go, I like the punctuation a little bit more, so I'm going to lean more towards it being like this and obviously I assume this is going to be pretty collaborative with the other actors and with the director but what's your instinct at that point so I do the comparisons because usually the cut script is mostly about the lines right what did we cut out because it's really archaic and doesn't mean anything to our current audience and we want this show to be this amount of time so we've cut out these lines or this scene or what have you and so yes i feel totally free to alter the punctuation however i need to to make sure that it's as playable of an action and sentence as i can make it for me i have uncertain things you know when i get a cut script and i'm working on it i might go back and go oh they cut this line out I really think that line's important and that will help me in this transition or this moment or something and I've gone back and been like can I add this line back in or I played Mercutio uh, several years ago which I would love to do again Um, and I got to the Queen Mab speech and I was working on it and I like hit a jog and I looked back at it and I realized that they had cut some things out of it and there was one line that I didn't realize I knew like I knew part of the speech already because Mm. again I've grown up my entire life I've had kind of Shakespeare plays going on in the background so a lot of times I'll be really surprised to discover I actually already have parts of speeches memorized that I didn't even really realize. Mm -hmm. And so I was working on the Queen Mab speech and I had to go back and be like, can I add this line back in? Because it's going to be harder for me to unlearn it (laughs) than it is if we just throw it back in, which of course was fine. But you always check on those changes. But that, 
kind of some of the process of working with the lines and again that pliability with Shakespeare you can cut things if they're not useful if they're not furthering the story if they're just causing your actor to take a huge misstep every time and it's not essential to the plot in my opinion cut it that's another fun thing for me is that there's always like different stuff that we can bring to these kind of classic fun roles and new ways that that each individual can interpret them and again we can bring them into all sorts of different contexts. You know, there's that great production, Shakespeare in the Park version of, again, Much Ado About Nothing that had Danielle, oh, I'm blanking on her name, from Orange is the New Black. That was really fun. It was like an all-black cast. And there was just a completely different rhythm to the lines and, and all sorts of things. It was still this kind of classic story. And one of the things that again Shakespeare did was people talk about like oh it's so classic and it's the story's universal about love and and part of the reason of that is because he he didn't come up with many of his own stories he just stole things from other people and retold them in in this particular way which which we've kind of latched on to but they're classic stories because they were already classic stories right there are only so many plot lines because Shakespeare's written in poetry, like there is, and, and we don't speak that way, right? There were whole rules of rhetoric that were part of how Elizabethan spoke. And so it's certainly integrated into Shakespeare, and that's another way that you can kind of pick it apart. But it does, it can, and especially when we got into the era where Shakespeare was said in a received pronunciation British accent, which is so Laurence Olivier and to be or not to be, uh, which is, again, not how it sounded when Shakespeare wrote the thing, right? It was a very different sounding accent, much earthier, to be or not to be, um, was more how it sounded. Um, but we get this sense of like, oh, only the very elite, highly educated can do this or understand it or that's what it is and when you go to a comedy there's a dick joke like every third line <laughs> I was doing a reading of Much Ado About Nothing I was called in I was doing a, a reading series we were trying to read through do staged readings of all of Shakespeare and I didn't get cast in the much ado except the morning of the staged reading I wake up and I open my email and there's a frantic email from the director saying like can you step in and be Margaret and I was like oh serves you right for not casting me in the first place sure I'll come be Margaret <laughs> and um I but I had to work that day so I had like my lunch break my half hour lunch break to read over this before I left work and immediately had to go to where we were doing the reading and so I was able to read through my lines and that was it and I was able to read through it once <laughs> and I got to a speech because I'm very familiar with Much Ado I've seen it a lot I was like this shouldn't be hard but I got to a speech of Margaret's that I was like, I do not recognize this speech. This must be one of those things that they just cut for time a lot because I have no memory of this speech. And I had no time to analyze it or anything. And I was like, 
I don't know what's happening in this speech. What do I do? Okay, you know what? There's a dick joke at the end. So if I just move through it really fast and I hit the dick (laughs) joke, I should be fine. And uh, I was, I was, I got a laugh out of it. It was, it was really great. I was like, no one will know. Just do it with confidence and hit the dick joke, and you'll be good. Do it with confidence and hit the dick joke. Um, good for Shakespeare and for improv. Fair. Do you have any closing thoughts? Anything we didn't touch on that you want to mention? I would love to invite those who have enjoyed Shakespeare and enjoyed live theater in general, that when you go to see a show that you've experienced before, that that you have a love for, to again, take a deep breath when you find yourself going like, ah, but their Horatio is not or isn't. Take a deep breath and just sit with the performance you've been given you don't have to love it. You can still, you know, there are bad things in this world and I'm not going to say that there aren't, but allow yourself to kind of get out of your own way sometimes and just take a breath and appreciate what you've been given and see how you can incorporate that into your understanding of the work and know that you know, we do. We seem to think that there are definitive versions of Shakespeare, but I think I've been happier and I found it more useful to just move away from that idea and go with, well, there are favorite productions that I've experienced, but I might find a new one, you know, being open to that. Curtains Unfurled is produced by me, Salsa Sterling. The music you are hearing was written and performed by me as well. Please like us on Facebook, subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Podcasts, and leave a review. A big thank you to Moretta for being on the show, and thank you for listening. If you have been wanting to hear Moretta's rendition of the aforementioned What a Piece of Work is Man speech, well, here you go. I have of late, but wherefore I know not lost all my mirth. Forgone all custom of exercises, and indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame, the earth, seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy, the air, look you, this brave or hanging firmament, this majestical roof fretted with golden fire, why it appeareth nothing to me but a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man! How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. No nor woman neither, though by your smiling you do seem to say so. And that's a wrap.